0: Greetings and welcome to the Business of Agriculture podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where we get together every week and discuss issues impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. That's right. It's the Business of Agriculture, and we're here for you. Got a great guest today. Andy Ambriel was with me in episode six. He's a smart young guy, a 30-year-old farmer, did not get into this the way some folks do with uh, the inherited assets of grandpa. He actually had to get a little bit more crafty. started with a tomato operation as a high school kid, was in FFA, and then said, hey, I think maybe I need to do things a little differently because I don't have a lot of deep capital. So he decided to go the route of organic. That's right. He's an organic farmer. And if your vision of a person like Andy Ambriel of BioSteward Farms is that he's out here with an acre and a half of arugula, think again. He farms 1,300 acres of organic agriculture, and he's going to tell you all about it. Also, you might say, is he in California? No, he's in northern Indiana. He's from my part of the world, where you wouldn't think you would find a 30-year-old progressive-minded organic farmer we're going to discuss today organic farming the future of organic farming organic versus conventional and why we have such uh, sometimes disparate opinions but also why we can all coexist we're going to talk about the whole chemistry issue as we just had the third lawsuit against Bayer monsanto uh ruling come in last night and also we're going to discuss the future of agriculture things like regenerative ag and all these other various issues in play it's the business of agriculture
1: welcome to the show andy ambriel thanks it's good to be on today
0: thanks for having you back is
1: what you meant to say (laughs) yeah something like that
0: all right tell us about your operation uh you were with us in episode six things have changed since then a lot of people weren't listening when we were in our sixth episode that listen now tell me about it
1: yeah um i've continued to grow uh Few more acres, um, bringing on a few uh, possible new crops this year, uh, kind of a test program. Gonna try some mint and uh, possibly some other alternative crops, Um, but uh, other than that, pretty much your standard uh, corn, soybeans, and small grains, uh, typical of northern Indiana, uh, just growing them certified organic.
0: Okay, so I I gave you the bump here, and a lot of folks need to realize uh, okay. You're sitting there, you're a, a sharp guy and you're an FFA kid. You've got your tomato operation. Was it a normal, standard tomato
1: operation? Because that was your springboard. You are what, 16? Yeah, I started uh, 16, bought a used greenhouse uh, from a, a lady. And she encouraged me to stick with the organic certification because of the marketing, the market demands um, of that. And, um I had some success growing inside and I thought, hey, uh, why not take it to a larger scale on uh, some ground and uh, started my first year uh, farming 50 acres um, and then have kind of slowly grown from there. Okay, so you started off fifty acres, and I remember you told me way back when we met you said hey i,
0: I don't i, I don 't have the ability to just keep getting bigger i 've got to be different, and i 've got to have a niche because i don 't have a million dollars at play here, so you were what seventeen eighteen years old, still in high school using your dad 's equipment probably, and then how 'd that go?
1: Yeah, yep, uh, I worked out an agreement with him to uh, rent that first fifty acres, rent the equipment from him, uh, like I said, I you know started i had uh, with the raise some tomatoes and raised a few pumpkins so you know I had a small amount of money saved up but yeah nothing like you know buying a million dollars worth of equipment or anything like that um, and so I, you know, definitely wanted to, uh, be involved in agriculture. Uh, I loved it. I grew up in it. Uh, but you come to the problem of, you know, the farm's not big enough to sustain an additional person, uh, you know, limited income. This was before the big run up in corn and soybean prices. Um, and it, there just really wasn't a whole opportunity. So I knew that I kind of had to Forged my own way, um, and I was going to have to do things a little bit different, uh, maybe grow some crops with a little bit higher ROI. Um, You know, the the extra labor didn't scare me because, you know, I'm young and ambitious and have all kinds of uh, extra labor. So um, it it was a challenge. I I enjoy the challenge. I love thinking outside of the box. Um, And I I started researching. I started... uh, Meeting other organic farmers. Um, Unfortunately, there really wasn't any nearby, so uh, made a few trips to uh, Ohio, to Illinois. and uh, met with some other guys and kind of figured out what they were doing and uh, tried to bring all that information back home and tried to make a go of it
0: you said something really interesting there you said there wasn't enough room i mean your parents were conventional farmers in northern indiana uh, you know kind of operation that i can relate to many people can relate to but andy wants to be a farm guy Uh, there's only so much to go around so you said for me to carve out my space here with my parents or to even get them to help me out to get started I need to be reinventing this whole thing because there. Otherwise, we got to go and find three thousand more acres.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just to go to try to go buy the land, you know that's that's unaffordable. Or uh, you know, try to get cutthroat in the cash rent market. You know, you end up, uh, you know, margins get compressed, and it's just it's just not a good situation for anybody.
0: All right, so you, your first foray, besides the tomatoes, you said pumpkins. That was an organic operation also?
1: No, that was uh, conventional uh, mainly. Um, that was just uh, jack-o'-lantern pumpkins uh, growing a couple acres. I started doing that when I was nine, um, so I've, I've always had farming in my blood and, and always loved it.
0: When you were nine years old, you grew pumpkins, sold them on the roadside. Did you claim all that income? Okay. Of course. Uh, wait, wait, wait. Of course
1: I did. Yeah. <laughs> All
0: right. So tell me about this. Uh, where does this go? First off, barley. Uh, oats there's there's 10 acres of oats grown in all of northern indiana and you're part of them uh, tell me i that. probably
1: have nine of those acres yeah, so, so. Me,
0: what's that, is that for organic horse feed
1: um yeah there's uh usually i use oats during the transition years um it's a really good crop uh doesn't need much inputs um it's it grows kind of an off time you plant it really early and, and harvest it uh late july and august Uh, so it's kind of an off time of the rest of the operation. Um, and, uh, it just makes a, makes a really good, uh, transition crop and it, it ends up going, uh, for, uh, feed. Okay. So specialty feed, organic feed, and then the same with barley. Uh, yeah, the barley, uh, is certified organic. What I like about the barley is it comes off earlier than wheat and allows you to get a double crop of soybeans in. Um, so that kind of creates, uh, a little bit more, uh. Additional income. Does that barley
0: At, could it go for organic beer, or are we in the right right area for that?
1: No, unfortunately, in this area there is some interest from some of the micro beer, breweries, um, but in this area with our humidity, um, it's really hard to grow malting barley and get the quality that they need. So most of that is grown out west in a drier climate. One thing when I do all of my shows and speeches all over North America, you, you know,
0: certainly we could grow say canola here or whatever cotton in some area. It has to have a market. It has to have the infrastructure. So that's the question. Since you're the guy with oats and barley that nobody else has, is it getting on a truck and going a long, long
1: way? Uh, no, it's uh, it's used locally. And when I say local, uh, within about 60 miles of the farm, um, there's some uh, dairies and chicken feed mills uh, up north that uh, they go to in the uh, Shipshawana, Topeka, uh, Cromwell area. Yeah, those are Amish areas, dear listener. If you're unfamiliar with the part of the world where Andy and
0: I are from, there's are Amish areas. Now the Amish aren't necessarily demanding that we have, uh, organic oats. Are they?
1: Uh, no, but a lot of the, the smaller, uh, dairies have gone to organic, uh, simply as a way to sustain a small family operation. Um, unfortunately they're struggling as well as, as the conventional dairies, um, yeah, a few years ago, the idea was we can't compete with in, in the $14 milk, but we can if we go
0: organic. And then the problem is organic milk got glutted also.
1: Yeah, yep. And there's uh, some, some massive uh, dairies uh, in Texas as well that, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of cows that they call organic. But, man, they really push the uh, envelope when they come to meeting all the standards. All right,
0: speaking of organic
1: you you told everybody why you did it
0: it just made sense from a business standpoint you don't you don't march against Monsanto you don't go to whole foods and sign petitions you're a farm boy from from the midwest you did it because it made sense you said it's this is what i have to do to remain competitive to have a value added niche
1: or a value added product is there any other reason you did it oh absolutely i mean economics uh, um is a, is a main main reason but also um, I, I like not being able to, to have to handle all the uh, the chemicals, not have to worry about it, not bring any of that back home with me. Um, I like a lot of the, the environmental uh, benefits of using cover crops and, and all that type of thing as well. Um, you know, the thing with organic, uh, especially with the way the prices are now, there's some people getting into it strictly for the money. And uh, that's happened in the past as well, and those people are no longer in it because it is, it's is—it's a lot of extra work, and, and your heart has to be in the right place to be able to uh, put up with all the, the unique challenges um, and you talked that about it faces. the time.
0: You talked about the timing also. You can't decide I'm going to be an organic farmer tomorrow because there has to be a withdrawal period of the land because it needs what three or five years before uh, of no chemistry on it before it can comply is that
1: right yeah it takes three years to transition from a conventional field to a certified organic so you have to have um, a pretty big investment uh, to going into it so it's not something that you just want to jump into and uh, see how it works and then figure out it doesn't because uh it's it's not going to be very good uh economically for you. I figure the first three years you you're lucky if you break even and then uh you know once you get the certified prices then it, it gets a lot better, but it's, it's definitely an, an investment and a, and a learning curve. You said that thing about your parents and you decided it was a w- way to work
0: it for you. Do you see this as a path for the next person that's a 16-year-old kid that had his own pumpkin patch that he says, I want to come back and be a farmer, or she, I'm not being sexist, it could be a she, of course, he or she says, I want to be a farmer but I'm going to have to do something that's small because I don't I, I don't
1: have the ability to go and grab 3,000 more acres. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's, it's a good opportunity. Um, you have to to kind of be able to write your own path and um you know there there's not a whole lot of uh you can't just go to the neighbors and see what they're doing um but yeah it's it's a great opportunity uh for for anybody uh younger trying to get into ag and it's interesting if you look at the demographics of uh organic farmers versus conventional farmers it's almost a night and day difference um, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but there's a significant amount of organic farmers in the 30 and under group uh, where you look at conventional farmers. Most of them are uh, 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, So it is very attractive to the younger generation um, as a a way to come back to the farm. I
0: wonder, Okay, in the old days, it used to be uh, if you're young and you don't have capital, you've just got to be willing to obviously take on risk do more labor, uh, do things other people don't want to do. Maybe milk. It used to be that you could still, if you were young and ambitious and didn't have much, you could throw, get you 50 cows and milk cows. That's like that's the way the Masons were. That's the way my family was. We didn't have any money, but by God, we could work and milk 60 cows uh, or have a couple of hog units. Now maybe organic fills that niche where it's you've got to work harder, but you've got smaller scale. Do the prices stay,
1: do the price of entry stay down, do you think? Um, you know, as, as it grows and as the market kind of matures, um, I do see that spread probably shrinking. Um, but I think the, the big thing is, is that three year, uh, time commitment is going to keep a lot of people out. You can't just jump in and jump out. Um, and and also, you know, the, the workload, um, is going to keep a lot of people out as well. Um, as well as just the, the skills gap. I mean, you look at, You know, a couple generations ago, everybody knew how to run a cultivator. And today, you know, they're they're gathering rust in a fence row somewhere and nobody even really knows how to, you know, set one or or anything like that. So and by the way, dear listeners, some of you are saying, what's a cultivator? Well, first off, there's a
0: field cultivator that some of you still use a tillage in in many parts of the world. But he's talking about this contraption from the old days back from when I was a kid that went down the rows, between the rows, and cultivated between rows of crops. Uh, and he said they're gathering rust in a, in a fence row. Because remember, back in the 70s and 80s, when we got really good chemistry by the 90s, those things got parked along, uh, along a fence row and said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Why spend the time, the fuel, the, the money, packing my soil down? So you
1: still cultivate. Oh, absolutely. And, and you look at, you know, back in the day, you know, they were sitting out there on a two- or four-wheel or four row cultivator on an open station tractor uh, you know, going deaf and getting sunburned, you know, where today we have cabs, air conditioning, listen to the radio, auto steer and things like that. Listening so. to the Business of Agriculture podcast is Abs- what you meant to say. Absolutely. And, and listening uh, to the book on Audible as well. That's so. right. <laughs> by
0: the way, Andy Ambrill is not only my guest, he's, uh, he's a smart kid. And, and, you know, he started off by trolling me on social media and disagreeing with my opinions. And I said, who is this guy? And uh, actually, I've, I've learned to respect uh, and, and also like him. And I don't like most people, as you well know, dear listeners he also mentioned my book and that's time for our commercial break do business better my book for you business people entrepreneurs solopreneurs business owners people that want to improve their game traits habits and actions to help you succeed it's available as a hardback on barnes and noble or amazon.com it's also available as audible so while you 're out there this season doing all of your farm work, why don't you pick up a copy of it it 's like ten bucks or fifteen bucks on audible it'll take you a few hours it'll keep you entertained it 'll also educate you back to the show Andy Ambriel, How organic are you? okay? I mean seriously let 's admit it in your refrigerator you 've got like a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of like inorganic stuff in your in your life, you
1: probably actually spray your driveway with glyphosate don't you Oh. Uh, occasionally i have been known to spray my driveway a little bit uh but uh in the refrigerator we we quite a bit of organic uh most of our meat uh comes from a local uh grass-fed farm um you know we still go to mcdonald's whatever you know when you're in a hurry or whatever we're not sitting
0: here looking at you you don't look like you're all that healthy i mean
1: come on now i mean i bet you i could pinch an inch oh yeah definitely definitely Oh, but right. uh, no, we we try to uh, uh, you know eat eat as good as we can as uh, you know what what our schedule and uh, finances allow. All right, we're going to talk a little bit later on about regenerative agriculture because I made a point
0: that it was a brand new term and and people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez were spouting it and she wouldn't know regenerative agriculture from uh, you know regenerative herpes. But uh, here's my thing. Some organic practices I think are amazing. That thing where they try and keep cover crops on it and then crimp them. Because I've said repeatedly, soil is agriculture's most valuable asset. The most important resource we have, the most important thing we can protect, pass on to our heirs, soil. Do you think organic does a better job with soil?
1: Or do you think with all the tillage and the compaction and whatnot, you know, what's the what's the trade-off? Well, I mean, there's uh, there's good and bad ways to uh, implement the uh, organic standards. Um, I think for the most part, when you from the bird's eye view, organic farmers are more concerned about their soil uh, and soil health than conventional farmers, I would say, on average. Now, you know, there are really good conventional farmers and there are really bad organic farmers. But. Um, but in order to be a successful organic farmer, you have to focus on the soil and not just uh, the crop that you're going to grow that particular year. Um, you know, soil health, uh, for me personally, is is very, very important. Um, you know, anything that I can do to build that up um, is, is going to give me uh, rewards in the future, um, you know, not just in my lifetime, but in future generations as well. Um, I think that's that's one thing that conventional ag gets wrong is you know they're mainly focused on what crop can i grow this year for the most profit and uh yeah i'll i'll see what i can do on soil uh maybe put in a grass waterway if fsa pays me to do it um so there there is uh on average i would say a large disparity in in that context
0: well that like you said that's that's not it's not a conventional versus organic there's just people that really look at the soil as as their future and their grandchildren's future and there's people that say i'm going to mine this place for tomorrow and unfortunately here's the property that you have and 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 here's the property i have and sometimes we we might be across the road from
1: each other but by golly they've been treated differently for the last hundred years and that matters yep absolutely and uh you know you bring up regenerative agriculture it's you know, sustainable, regenerative—all those are kind of buzzwords. Uh, but but you look at you know not just keeping your soil where it's at or keeping it from eroding, uh, but but actually you know creating more topsoil, uh, creating uh, deep down fertility, increasing organic matter, and things like that. Not just there's a difference between not destroying it and being able to actually uh, regenerate and uh, maybe get the soil closer back to when it first came out of a forest or first came out of a prairie
0: all right so tell me about regenerative agriculture you're jumping ahead but that's okay because we're pretty fluid here on the business of agriculture podcast regenerative agriculture you've got a company called BioSteward farms you're you're all about organic because that was the right decision to make regenerative agriculture i first heard it from alexandrio casio cortez who does not know anything about the business of food fuel fiber farming and i said okay this is all neat but also i've heard a lot of other Politicians that have neat, neat buzzwords and buzz phrases. You sent me a link to the uh, information about regenerative agriculture. Explain it and tell me
1: what this really means for us. I mean, it's been around for a while um, and kind of as uh, along the lines of if if organic uh, standards were followed uh to their intentions, I think every organic farm would be a regenerative farm as well. Um, unfortunately in some of the rulemaking, some of that's kind of got lost in the weeds a little bit. Uh, but regenerative agriculture, um, is actually more focused on, uh, building soil and looking at the whole, uh, context of the farm and not just singulating out, uh, one particular, uh, crop or one particular field or anything like that. Um, You know how things, how the whole puzzle fits together, and not just looking at each each individual piece.
0: Yeah, well, what's interesting to me is again, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez wouldn't know uh, know, peas from peanuts. So the the point that I'm going to make is anybody that's a long term, long horizon, business minded agriculturalist is a regenerative farmer they're saying things like yes i want to use nutrients yes i want to use cover crop yes i want to use uh reduce my tillage when i can to keep the compaction off that i want to i'm I'm trying to understand why that's not just great practices for your ground is that what regenerative really
1: means uh yeah but i think it's it's probably taking that as a step up from what you normally see um i know right now the four r's are are really popular you know for fertilizer right place right product and all that What's um, the other two I'm, I'm learning uh right product right place uh right time and i don't know i'm not a fertilizer salesman uh but well, probably the fourth <laughs> one if you're a fertilizer salesman is r- uh
0: right company uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Or, but, but or, or, you we're know,
1: write the check that's yeah. probably the other four, the yeah, fourth. yeah right i think write the check might be the last one i'm not sure but but at the same time you know if you're, if you're getting recommendations from your fertilizer dealer Uh, Are they going to recommend that you, you know, maybe plant a cover crop and cut back on your nitrogen use or, you know, plant a cover crop that's going to hold on to your phosphorus or... Uh, you know, something like that. No, they are going to sell, they're going to sell you today. Yeah.
0: Probably. And that's not being mean. And we're no. Not selling, that's the
1: business they're in. The
0: business they're in is they, yep. for their, for them to take their wife to Cancun on the fertilizer incentive trip, they've got to move some, they got to move some fertilizer <laughs> buggies, right?
1: Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And that, and that's where it's up to each individual farmer to have the foresight, uh, to run their operation in the way that's best for them. And, uh, you know, not just uh, go to the co-op and plant whatever seed they recommend, put on whatever fertilizer they recommend and write the check. Because uh, at the end of the day, and especially the way commodity prices are, uh, you're going to be writing more checks than uh, signing the uh, uh, front of the check instead of the back of the check as like, uh gabe brown likes to say um, i like to sign the backs yeah it the back seems, is always better <laughs> seems like i
0: sign a lot of those uh okay you like to keep up with some of my stuff let's talk about let's talk about the future Bayer monsanto just had its third uh verdict against it and while we're, we're recording this on may 14th and it'll be a little while before it gets released but it was may 13th in a California courtroom where all the other cases, the other two have been tried. And this one was for $2 billion because the plaintiff's attorneys told the jury worked into a tizzy as they were. It's time for you to send a message to this company. Now, of course, all of us in ag get worked up over this and you don't
1: even use the products of Bayer Monsanto, or do you, um, possibly some of the base genetics in the seed that I use might be some, uh, monsanto genetics i haven't really researched enough but no no traits no chemistry uh nothing like that Uh, the tomato seed that i actually use uh monsanto bought that company out a few years ago and for a while they specifically would not sell their treat their seed untreated uh, so i had to find a new supplier um
0: all right. So Bayer, you're that you're that person that wait, you know, because the average person says I saw in a documentary that uh, Monsanto forces farmers to buy their seed. And you, you obviously didn't. You just said, nope, I'm not going to buy their stuff
1: yeah and that's that's the thing you know a lot of people get real worked up about it and you know what i'm not a huge fan of monsanto um i don't think they have the farmer's best interest uh at hand they have monsanto's best interest at hand which i don't blame them that's the business they're in but you know what i don't need to go scream at other people and tell them what to do you know i have a good customer base that believes in what i do um i have the reasons uh that i believe in what i do and if somebody else wants to do something different or uh believe something different that's fine uh I think I got a better product, and I'd love to compete with them in the marketplace on it. And I think uh, the marketplace will ultimately uh, determine, uh, you know, what people want and what they don't want, we don't need to go scream and holler. um, And make a bunch of hullabaloo and, laws I, I, and ban I agree everything. with you
0: I'm all about the marketplace and uh, I'm, I think it's fantastic that that if you want I, sell, I tell my audiences I've got it on video if you want to sell organic Scottish Highland steers that are blessed by a rabbi and and all named Clarence and petted by your daughter and and whatever little thing you can do I'm all for it but there's this thing about while we're talking about chemistry cause groups use Emotion, scientific illiteracy and and agricultural ignorance among the populace to push their agenda. And so when a cause group, let's call the Environmental Working Group, runs enough of a PR campaign to get a jury in their backyard in San Francisco to find Monsanto guilty of killing people, then their fundraising goes up very significantly. Now, Environmental Working Group can say we did this. Look at what we what we accomplished. That's not science, that's not consumer choice, that's advocacy by a small radical cause group that then is pilfering and profiting off of those companies. Is that going to continue?
1: First off, do you uh, agree? Uh, probably. I mean, those, and we have Probably to you agree, that. or probably <laughs> is that the future? No, probably that's the future. I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon, but I guess we have to decide, are those type of groups uh, the cause or the symptom? And also, you know, all sides use emotion for their their arguments. Uh, You know, you hear in the ag community a lot, about uh, how many billion people that we're going to have to feed or you know if everybody was organic then half the world would starve and things like and by that. by the
0: way I'm not sure that's the case either. <laughs> but you and I both agree that feed the world has been a mantra for the time that I was born the time you were born from the time agriculture was born it's all about feeding the world and as we pointed out that's not going to be an issue we're feeding people better than we ever have and there's more of them we were are not going to have that issue on feed the world that's one of my podcasts if you're listening right now dear listener you're saying what's he talking about go back a couple episodes and feed the world is not going to be an issue because we have the productivity and we also are going to have less people. So you and I agree on that, Andy.
1: I think so. Yeah. And, and you look at, uh, you know, currently we're swimming in a sea of corn and soybeans and they're out here preaching uh, how we need to have high yields and uh, increase our production to feed the world. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'd rather feed my family than worry about feeding the world. You know, right now, we've never had more food in the world, we've never had better nutrition in the world, and and those type of things, you know, unfortunately, there is still hunger in the world, but when you look at the root causes of it, Uh, unfortunately it's it's political mainly it's not Um, it's not not a
0: production issue
1: and it's it's sad to see but you know what uh i think there there's always going to be the the poor and the hungry among us so i'm going to turn 50 years old this summer and i've been keeping up because i'm an observer and that's how you become a comedian
0: and that's how i have agricultural economics and all the background that i have so i've always paid attention and in my 50 years in my 50 years Huge surpluses have been the norm. <laughs> so if we're concerned about the, in other words, that feed the world mantra has worked so well from the 1920s, 30s, 50s, whatever, it still is with us today. And I'm telling you that since 1969, when I was born, we've pretty much had a surplus. Uh, you know, the PIC program in the 1980s and the, the, all the stuff
1: that I saw through that was all because of too much stuff. Yep. And yeah, a lot of the, that, roots of that was, you know, political as some of the, the low prices we're facing today is political as well. Um, but you know, we, we need a, as farmers, we, you know, we're innovative. That's, that's why we produce so much. That's why we're so good at it. Uh, we're, we're some of the most innovative people around. Um, but we, we have to be careful that, uh, we don't innovate ourselves into oblivion because, uh, if we can do some things to, you know, cut costs or produce, uh, a more desirable product or or things like that uh, versus just producing a raw commodity and then asking somebody how much they'll give us and then complain to the government when it's not enough to cover our costs. Well there's no question that
0: uh, a, a cartel like OPEC would be an amazing thing if agriculture could get uh, get that going. I guess in some places they have you know we talk about uh, dairy support programs or uh, you know quota systems. Are you the future of agriculture? Let's just say that this whole Bayer and Monsanto thing continues, and there's more and more two billion dollar lawsuits. That means eventually these companies have to crack. they can they cannot sustain that. They can't withstand it. You know, I read the article that said, well, maybe these companies should just uh, settle <laughs> settle for what? My God, we don't have the money. So, settle into bankruptcy is what it looks like. So, does that mean, do we have a future of no chemistry?
1: Um, No, not no chemistry, um, but we're going to have a lot more uh, chemistry from more natural products. Uh, You look at the biopesticide market, it's growing leaps and bounds. Uh, People would rather use a pesticide from a plant than one that's made in the lab, Uh, even though if the, you know, molecular structure and all that is similar. um, It's just kind of human nature that, you know, people trust plants more than they do chemists. Um, You know, that market is going to be huge. Uh, the certified organic market is going to continue to grow. I believe, uh, is it going to be the majority? I doubt it. Um, it's real close, especially in a lot of areas, the fruit and vegetable market is close to 50%. Um, the Wait a gra- minute, say it again, fruits and vegetables close to 50% on what, um, on, on the East and West coast of sales. Okay. Of uh, market share. Yeah. Market share. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, is probably. Overall,
0: I think organics like 8%, but of course, it wouldn't be so much in meat or yeah. eggs. It would be yep. on
1: fruits and vegetables, dairy, things like that. Um, and, and as, as the market grows and gets more mature, uh, that price point in the grocery store is going to come down. So that's going to open it up to a lot more people being, being able to afford organic. Um, you know, is organic going to be a hundred percent of the marketplace? I I doubt it. Um, I would say somewhere between 30 and 50% will probably be the peak. What if we also just see, you said a hundred percent of the market. What if it's not a hundred percent organic? What if we end up
0: just going closer to like 80% organic? We get these chemistry tools taken away from us, but we still have to use this and this. Now, it'd be good if we make that decision and the marketplace makes the decision and not a jury in San Francisco.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think the, the push on, on farms is uh, more regenerative, using more regenerative practices. You look at just simple things like uh, the adoption of cover crops in the last 10 years. You know, 10 years ago, people were saying to cover what? And, uh, today as, as I drive around, uh, there's quite a few fields that are green out there, not just with, uh, henbit and chickweed, but, uh, maybe with some cereal rye and annual ryegrass as well. Uh, so you're getting to see more and more of that. Um, you know, it, it's, uh it's kind of an individual farmer innovation, uh, cause they're, you know, the universities, they don't have the research and things like that. Um, so it, it's taking time, but, uh, farmers are figuring out that uh, a lot of these regenerative practices, um, will save them money. Um, and you know, in the low commodity prices, uh, being a low cost producer is, is the name of the game. Well, we don't want to be commoditized. That's why you became an organic farmer. You gave me a lot of
0: predictions there, so we're going to close out. Last question, last thought, last idea. What do you see when you look at the future of agriculture? You're a 30-year-old young man. You're doing this. You've been doing it since you were a kid with your pumpkin patch.
1: What do you see? Uh, I think the f- the future um, is bright, even though we have some, some doom and gloom. Uh, people are always going to have to eat um and and the good thing is people are more uh focused on what they're eating now uh so we as each individual farmer have the opportunity to tell our story tell why what we're doing uh is going to help them and um you know we can we can do that and it's really exciting i think uh, on the equipment side of it uh ever since the dawn of time, uh, bigger, wider, faster has been the, uh, the name of the game. Um, and it's really interesting to see, uh, once we get some automation on machines, uh, what smaller, more nimble, uh, equipment can do. Um, you know, we're going to have probably some different crop rotations, uh, possibly, uh, growing two or three crops together, um, in the same field and the ability to harvest them separately that, uh, there are certain biological uh benefits of doing that um but you know we just don't have the equipment that can handle all that um that that's going to be exciting um there there's a lot of uh, ways to reduce um, our pesticides our fertilizer use um, you know encouraging beneficial insects and things like that um, that as we get more research Um, we're, we're going to figure out, um, a lot more ways to use those things and how to use those things to get the, the biggest benefit, um, where five years ago, uh, you know, they were just either somebody's idea that they couldn't really prove or, uh, possibly just, uh, just discovered in a laboratory. So, uh, the actual application of those discoveries are gonna be very exciting in the next 10, 20 years. So, uh, are you excited? Oh yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm gonna be around in ag for a while. (laughs) all right andy ambriel of uh, biosteward
0: farms has been my guest this is the business of agriculture podcast as you well know if you want to follow andy ambriel he puts some interesting stuff up he's very active on twitter it's at biosteward
1: farms am i right uh yep that's correct anybody else they need to find you any other way uh nope that's about it i do i do have a facebook page as well uh, i don't get on there very much but uh yeah we can uh argue on twitter as i go up and down the field
0: got so. it And unless you're watching netflix like we're hearing all right it's the business of agriculture podcast thanks for joining us till next time i'm damian mason